December 19, 2020, the Saturday of the third week of Advent. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the priestly division of Abijah. His wife was from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth, both were righteous in the eyes of God observing all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blamelessly. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Once, when he was serving as priest, in his divisions turned before God, according to the practice of the priestly service, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord to burn incense. Then when the whole assembly of the people was praying outside, at the hour of the incense offering, the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right of the altar of incense. Zechariah was troubled by what he saw, and fear came upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall name him John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn hearts of fathers towards children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous to prepare a people fit for the Lord. Then Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel said to him in reply, I am Gabriel, who stand before God. I was sent to speak to you, and to announce to you this good news. But now you will be speechless, and unable to talk until the day these things take place, because you do not believe my words, which will be fulfilled at their proper time. Meanwhile the people were waiting for Zechariah, and were amazed that he stayed so long in the sanctuary. But when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. He was gesturing to them, but remained mute. Then, when his days of ministry were completed, he went home. After this time, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she went into seclusion for five months, saying, So has the Lord done for me at a time when he has seen fit to take away my disgrace before others. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Due to the length of this gospel passage, we will only present commentary up to the words to repair people fit for the Lord, before Zechariah's question to the angel. St. Luke commences the history of his gospel with Zechariah and the birth of John, relating one marvelous event before another, the lesser before the greater. For since a virgin was about to become a mother, it had been foreordained by grace that the old should previously conceive. He fixes the time when he says, In the days of Herod, and in the following words adds his rank, King of Judea. There was another Herod who killed John. He was Tetrarch, whereas this one was the king who killed the infants, the father of the Tetrarch Herod who killed the precursor. Now the time of Herod, that is, of a foreign king, 
bears witness to our Lord's coming, for it had been foretold in Genesis 49. The scepter shall never depart from Judah, or the mace from between his feet, until he comes to whom it belongs. For from the time that our fathers came out of Egypt, they were governed by judges of their own nation, until the prophet Samuel, and then by kings, until the carrying away to Babylon. But after their turn from Babylon, the chief power was in the hands of priests, until the time of Hyrcanus, who was both king and high priest. He was slain by Herod, after which the government of the kingdom was delivered over by the command of Augustus Caesar to this same Herod, a foreigner, in whose thirty-first year, according to the prophecy we have mentioned, the one to whom the scepter belongs came. Divine scripture teaches us with respect that those whom we commemorate are not only the characters of the men themselves, but of their parents also, ought to be praised that they might be distinguished by an inheritance, as it were, handed down to them of unspotted purity. Now not only from his parents, but also from his ancestors, St. John derives his illustrious descent, a descent not exalted by secular power, but venerable from its sanctity. Complete, then, is that praise which surrounds birth, character, office, actions, and judgments. The office was that of the priesthood. As it is said, there was a priest named Zechariah. For John was allotted a priestly tribe, that he might with the more authority herald forth a change of priesthood. His birth is implied in the mention made of his ancestors, of the priestly division of Abijah, that is, of high rank among the noblest families. There were princes of the sanctuary, or high priests, both of the sons of Eleazar and the sons of Etamar, whose divisions according to their respective services, when they entered into the house of God, David divided into twenty-four lots, of which the family of Abijah, from which Zechariah was descended, obtained the eighth lot. But it was not without meaning that the first preacher of the new covenant was born with the rights of the eighth lot, because as the old covenant is often expressed by the seventh number, on account of the Sabbath, so frequently is the new covenant by the eighth, because of the mystery of our Lord's, or our resurrection, wishing to show also that John was legally of priestly descent. Luke adds his wife was from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth, for it was not permitted to the Jews to take a wife from any other tribe but their own. The name Elizabeth signifies rest. Zechariah signifies the remembrance of the land. John was born of righteous parents, so that he might the more boldly give precepts of righteousness to the people, which he had not learnt as novelties, but had received by right of inheritance from his ancestors. Hence it follows, both are righteous in the eyes of God. Here their whole character is comprehended in their righteousness, but it is well said in the eyes of God, for a man, by effecting a popular good will, might seem righteous to me, but not be righteous before God, if that righteousness instead of springing from simpleness of heart was a mere presence carried on by flattery. Perfect, then, is the praise that a man is righteous in the eyes of God, for only he is perfect who is approved by him who cannot be deceived. St. Luke then describes actions and judgments. 
Hence it follows, observing all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blamelessly. For when we obey the command of heaven, we walk in the commandments of the Lord. When we observe justice, we follow the ordinances of the Lord. But to observe blamelessly, we must, as it says in Romans 12, be concerned for what is noble, not only before God, but also before men. There is no blame when both motive and action are good. But a too austere righteousness often provokes censure. A righteous act may also be done unrighteously, as when a man out of ostentation gives largely to the poor, which is not without just cause of blame. It follows, but they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren. Not only Elizabeth, but the wives of the patriarchs also, Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, were barren, which was counted a disgrace among the ancients. Not that their barrenness was the effect of sin, since all were just and virtuous, but it was ordained rather for our benefit, that when you saw a virgin giving birth to the Lord, you might not be faithless or perplexing your mind with respect to the womb of the barren, and that you might learn that the law of God seeks not a bodily increase of sons, but a spiritual increase. Both were advanced in years, not only in the body, but in the spirit. As it says in Psalm 84, in their hearts are pilgrim roads, having their life as the day, not as the night. And as it says in Romans 13, conducting themselves properly as in the day. The Lord appointed by the hand of Moses, one high priest, at whose death another was to succeed in due order. This was observed until the time of David, who by the command of the Lord increased the number of the priests. And so at this time Zechariah is said to have been performing his priest's office in the order of his division, as it follows. Once when he was serving as priest in his division's turn before God, according to the practice of the priestly service, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord to burn incense. Zechariah seems here to be designated high priest, because into the second tabernacle went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and the sins of the people. It was not a new lot that he was chosen when the incense was to be burnt, but by the old lot, whereby according to the order of his priesthood he succeeded in the course of Abijah. It follows, then the whole assembly of the people was praying outside at the hour of the incense offering. Incense was ordered to be carried into the Holy of Holies by the high priest, the whole people waiting outside the temple. It was to be on the tenth day of the seventh month, and this day was to be called the day of expiation or propitiation, the mystery of which, as the apostle explains to the Hebrews, points to Jesus as the true high priest who in his own blood has entered the secret places of heaven, that he might reconcile the Father to us, and intercede for the sins of those who still wait praying before the doors. This, then, is that high priest who is still sought by lot, for as yet the true high priest is unknown, for he who is chosen by lot is not obtained by man's judgment. That high priest, therefore, was sought for, and another typified, the true high priest forever, who not by the blood of victims, but by his own blood, was to reconcile God the Father to mankind. Then indeed there were changes in the priesthood, now it is unchangeable. When Zechariah entered into the temple to offer up prayers to God for all men, 
interceding between God and man, he saw an angel standing with him. As it is said, the angel of the Lord appeared to him. It is well said that there appeared an angel to Zechariah, who suddenly beheld him. And this is the expression, especially used by divine scripture, with respect to angels or God, that what cannot be seen beforehand may be said to appear. For things which are the objects of our senses are not seen as he is seen, who is seen only as he wills, and whose nature is not to be seen. And we speak thus not only of the present time, but also of the future. When we shall have passed from the world, God will not appear to all men, nor will the angels, but only to him who has a clean heart. The place will neither hinder nor serve anyone. But the angel evidently came not in a dream, because the tidings he brought were too hard to be understood, and needed therefore a more visible and marvelous manifestation. Angels, however, are revealed not as they really are, but transformed, as men are able to behold them, into whatever the Lord commands. It is said the altar of incense, because the other altar was set apart for burnt offerings. It was not without good reason that the angel appeared in the temple, for the coming of the true high priest was now announced, and the heavenly sacrifice was being prepared at which angels were to minister. For one cannot doubt that an angel stands by where Christ is sacrificed. But he appeared at the right hand of the altar of incense, because he brought down the token of divine mercy. As it says in Psalm 16, With the Lord at my right hand I shall never be shaken. Even the most righteous of men cannot behold an angel without fear. Zechariah, therefore, not sustaining the sight of the angel's presence, nor was able to withstand his brightness, is troubled, as it is added. Zechariah was troubled by what he saw. But as it happens, when a charioteer is frightened, and has let loose the reins, the horses run headlong, and the chariot is overturned. So is it with the soul, when it is taken by any surprise or alarm. As it is here added, and fear came upon him, a new face suddenly presenting itself to the human eye, troubles and startles the mind. The angel, knowing this to be the nature of man, first dispels the alarm, as it follows. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. By this we know that it is not difficult to discern between good and bad spirits. For if joy has overcome fear, we may know that the relief has come from God, because the peace of the soul is a sign of the divine presence. But if the fear remains unshaken, it is an enemy who is seen. The angel not only soothes his fears, but gladdens him with good tidings, adding, Because your prayer has been heard, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. Now here we must first consider that it is not likely that Zechariah, when offering sacrifice for the sins or for the salvation or redemption of the people, would neglect the public petitions he was to offer, and instead pray, though himself an old man and his wife also old, that he might receive children. Also, we must consider above all that no one prays for what he despairs of ever obtaining, and even up to this time so much had he despaired of ever having children, that he would not believe even when an angel promised it to him. The words, your prayer has been heard, must be understood, therefore, to refer to his prayers for people, not to his prayer for children. 
and that salvation, redemption, and the remission of the sins of the people was to be through Christ. It is so told to Zechariah that a son shall be born to him, because that son was ordained to be the forerunner of Christ. Or it means that this was to be the proof of his prayer for the people having been heard, namely that a son should be born to him, crying, Behold the Lamb of God, as if when Zechariah asked, How shall I know this? The angel answers, Because Elizabeth shall bring forth a son, you shall believe that the sins of your people are forgiven. Or it is to be interpreted as follows. Divine mercy is ever full and overflowing, not narrowed to a single gift, but pouring in an abundant store of blessings, as in this case, where first the fruit of his prayer for the people is promised, and next that of his wife Elizabeth will bear him a son. The son's name is announced as follows, and you shall name him John. It is meant as a sign of particular merit, when a man has a name given him or changed by God. This must be the meaning here, for those who from their earliest years were destined to shine forth in virtue, received their names at the very first from a divine source, while those who were to rise up in later years had a name given them afterwards. The name John is therefore interpreted as meaning one in whom is grace, or the grace of God. By this name it is declared first that grace was given to his parents, to whom in their old age a son was to be born, next to John himself, who was to become great before the Lord, lastly also to the children of Israel, whom he was to convert to the Lord. Hence it follows, and you will have joy and gladness. For when a just man is born into the world, the authors of his birth rejoice. But when one is born, who is to be as it were in exile, to labor and punishment, they are struck with terror and dismay. But a saint is not only the blessing of his parents, but also the salvation of many, as it follows, and many will rejoice at his birth. Parents are reminded here to rejoice at the birth of saints, and to give thanks. For it is no small gift of God to grant us children to be the transmitters of our race, to be the heirs of succession. Next to his becoming the rejoicing of many, the greatness of his virtue is prophesied. As it is said, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. The greatness signified is not of the body, but of the soul. Greatness in the sight of the Lord is greatness of soul, greatness of virtue. For many are called great before men, but not before God as the hypocrites. And so, in like manner, was John called great, as the parents of John were called righteous, that is, in the sight of the Lord. He extended not the boundaries of an empire, nor brought back in triumph the spoils of war. But, what is far greater, preaching in the desert, he overcame by his great virtue the delights of the world in the lusts of the flesh. Hence it follows, he will drink neither wine nor strong drink. The word translated as strong drink literally means drunkenness, and by this word the Hebrews understand any drink that can intoxicate, whether made from fruits, corn, or any other thing. But it was part of the law of the Nazarites to give up wine and strong drink at the time of their consecration. Hence John and others like him, that they might always remain Nazarites, that is, holy, are careful always to abstain from these things. For he ought not to be drunk with wine, in which is licentiousness, who desires to be filled with the new wine of the Holy Spirit. Rightly then is he, 
from whom all drunkenness with wine is utterly put away, filled with the grace of the Spirit. But it follows he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, on whomever the Holy Spirit is poured, in him there is the fullness of great virtue. As in St. John, who before he was born, when still in his mother's womb, bore witness to the grace of the Spirit which he had received, when leaping in the womb of his parent, he hailed the glad tidings of the coming of the Lord. There is one spirit of this life, another of grace. The former has its beginning at birth, its end at death. The latter is not tied down to times and seasons, is not quenched by death, is not shut out of the womb. But what John's work is to be, and what he will do through the Holy Spirit, is shown as follows, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. John indeed turned many, but is the Lord's work to turn all to God their Father. Now since John, who, bearing witness to Christ, baptized the people in Christ's faith, is said to have turned the children of Israel to the Lord their God, it is plain that Christ is the God of Israel. Let the Arians then cease to deny that Christ our Lord is God. Let the Photinians blush to ascribe Christ's beginning to the Virgin. Let the Manichaeans no longer believe that there is one God of the people of Israel, another of the Christians. But we need no testimony that St. John turned the hearts of many, for to this point we have the express witness of both the prophets and the Gospels. For example, in Isaiah 40 and Luke 3, he is called a voice of one crying out in the desert, Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths, and his baptisms thronged by the people. Declare the rapid progress of conversion. For the forerunner of Christ preached, not himself, but the Lord. And therefore it follows, he will go before him. It was well said that he will go before him, who both in birth and in death was his forerunner. And it is well said, in the spirit and power of Elijah. He says not, in the mind of Elijah, but in the spirit and power. For the spirit which was in Elijah came upon John, and in like manner his power. For never is the spirit without power, nor power without the spirit. And therefore it is said, in the spirit and power, because holy Elijah had great power and grace, power so that he turned back the false hearts of the people to faith, power of abstinence and patience and the spirit of prophecy. Elijah was in the desert, and the desert also was John. The one did not seek the favor of King Ahab, the other despised that of Herod. The one divided Jordan, the other brought men to the saving waters. John was the forerunner of our Lord's first coming. Elijah will be of his second. But what was foretold of Elijah by Malachi in Malachi 3 is now spoken by the angel of John, as it follows, to turn the hearts of fathers toward children, pouring into the minds of the people, by his preaching, the spiritual knowledge of the ancient saints, and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous, that is not laying claim to righteousness from the works of the law, but seeking salvation by faith or else the Jews were the parents of John and the apostles. But nevertheless, from pride and infidelity, raged violently against the gospel. Therefore, like dutiful children, John first, and the apostles after him, declared to them the truth, winning them over to their own righteousness and wisdom. 
so also will Elijah convert the remnant of the Hebrews to the truth of the apostles. But because he had said that Zechariah's prayer for the people was heard, he adds, to prepare a people fit for the Lord, by which he teaches in what manner the same people must be healed and prepared, namely by repenting at the preaching of John and believing in Christ. Or, John prepared a people, not disbelieving, but fit, that is, previously fitted to receive Christ. This mystery of preparation is even now fulfilled in the world, for even now the spirit and power of John must come upon the soul before it believes in Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.